Everyone has a story, whether it's triumph over illness, compassion during a time of need, or even having the strength to say goodbye. This is Health You, Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. Here you will find stories from real patients, family members, and friends who have had a remarkable experience they'd like to share. Thank you for listening, and we hope these stories inspire you and remind you you're not alone. Today we're here with Phil Castillo. He's a nurse at JFK. He's going to share a little story he has um, on a Black Friday a few years ago. So uh, Phil has an interesting story. He has both sides of being a caregiver and also a patient. So I guess we'll just get started. Phil, can you tell us what happened? Uh, November 25th, 2016 um, was actually set to be a, a unique day for me. It was actually my last day as a telemetry and stroke observation nurse uh, in 3 North in the Access Center at JFK Medical Center, I had been selected to um, transfer to the operating room in a, um, a perioperative 101 training program. So this Black Friday was actually my last shift as a floor nurse, as we would say. I typically take the day after Thanksgiving to be with my family. Uh, it had been years since I had worked any job on, on a Black Friday. But uh, given the fact that I was going to transfer to a new unit the next week, I decided let me work Black Friday uh, and uh, that will be my last day. It was a busy shift. In the late evening, I started getting a headache, which wasn't a surprise because I was very busy, you know, probably dehydrated. And um, it, it didn't really phase me in the beginning. Uh, so at one point, it got considerably bad. So I took an aspirin, went downstairs, got a coffee and then kept finishing my shift out. At one point, I text messaged my wife. I said, you know, this is the worst headache I've ever had. I had a moment when I sent that text. I'm like, wow, this is like what the book says when someone's having a brain hemorrhage. But that's impossible. I'm 30 years old, I'm healthy. I don't have strokes in my family history, at least not hemorrhagic strokes, no aneurysms. I don't have high blood pressure. So I'm reasoning with myself. I'm an educated stroke nurse. I can figure this out. And then I thought, maybe this is a migraine. My wife suffers from migraines. And uh, she had been a, a patient in JFK Neuroscience for years already with that. And so I'm like, great, now I'm getting sympathy migraines. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, I thought, okay, clearly this is a migraine now. Now I get to, uh, maybe, maybe at the end of the shift, I'll go down to the emergency room because um, I myself um, would get migraine patients on the floor. And there's a special, special treatment we give them with medications to break the migraine. So I'm like, maybe I'll get one of those. It just kept getting worse. I did a stroke assessment on myself and I checked my own vitals and everything was normal. So all the more I'm, I'm like, this can't be a stroke. Mm -hmm. I don't meet any of the criteria, so I'm not worried. And so I just let it go. Suddenly everything changed. I went from having a headache to everything just not functioning. I got nauseous. I started vomiting and I never vomit. It, it's a very unusual thing for me. That's when I got scared, but I didn't even have time to be scared because the my left side went totally paralyzed. I was numb, my face was numb, I couldn't speak, but I was still conscious at this point. So now I'm like, my brain is not functioning. And then I said, oh my God, I'm having a stroke. So I got up out of my chair, I was sitting very close to the nurse's station, and I got up out of my chair to grab the phone to call a code stroke for myself. And, and then I started to fall. So my secretary finished that, that call. Um, 
And I told her, I said, I need to go to the emergency room right now. The ER was on their way up. And I remember sitting in my chair, sitting back in my chair and seeing the stretcher come towards me and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak. And the nurses had already, my, my, my colleagues uh, had already started an emergency workup, you know, blood sugar, blood pressure, all that stuff, um, just to find out what's going on. Uh, but I knew at that point I, I was having a stroke. Somebody grabbed me by my scrubs and put me into the stretcher that was there for me. And between there and the elevators, which is only a matter of yards, uh, I consciously passed out. I woke up on Sunday. I had an endotracheal tube. I was on a vent. And my, <laughs> I'm looking around. I can't talk. But I can see, I can't talk because I have a tube in my throat, but I, I see family, I see the wallpaper of the ICU, and immediately I'm already, I'm like, okay, so clearly I had a stroke. Clearly I'm on a vent, but I know where I am, I know what happened, so it can't be that bad. This is where the story starts to pick up. My wife always has pens and paper, she's a teacher. I realize I can communicate somehow. I'm like, let me let my, let me let them know that I know who I am, who they are, and what's yeah. going on. So I wrote, I heart Robin, uh, which is my wife's name, <laughs> on a paper, and it, the heart came out messed up, but my hearts normally do, I, I don't draw hearts well. And she's like, oh, he's fine. Like, he yeah. knows who I am. This is exactly how we <laughs> are. And, yeah. and so like, it calmed a bunch of people down, and that was my goal, because I'm like, they don't know, they don't know if I know who they are. They don't know when, and then so now the next thing I did was I wrote stroke with a question mark on the paper. I wanted people to start telling me, I, yes, I know I had a stroke, but why? I'm not, I'm not predisposed to it. I never had any headaches or seizures or, or, or any indication that I would ever have this happen to me, let alone at 30. And uh, so they started explaining, they said that I had an AVM, an arteriovenous malformation. And uh, right off the bat, I, I relaxed a bit because I was like, well, it's probably congenital. I was born with it. I had it for 30 years, had no idea. And there's nothing I could have done. There's nothing that anybody could have done to detect this thing. And so um, I'm going to stop you just mm -hmm. for normal people like myself. Mm -hmm. What does that mean exactly? So it, <laughs> we have a, 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 a malformed cluster of blood vessels. Since the tissue isn't what it's supposed to be, it's weak. And then inevitably it bleeds. And quite often people that have AVMs, and AVMs aren't just in the brain, they can happen in other places, but the, the most critical tend to be in the brain. And they, um, in my case, uh, <laughs> you would almost joke about, like some people joke about having a heart attack in a, in a cardiologist's office. Like I had, a, I had a stroke in a stroke hospital. And that's the only reason I'm here talking to you today. For a while, anybody that I had worked with that got a headache, suddenly got worried, and, and I understand it. And um, to, you can't check for everything and everyone, it, you know, can you imagine if everybody went for an MRI? Mm -hmm. But it, there are signs and symptoms. Um, the biggest thing I can do is if you have unusual headaches, if you have, I mean, seizures, you know, anything Neurologic, any visual disturbance, hearing disturbance, anything with the, the brain that's not working right, um, have it checked. I wish I could offer, you know, a, a, an answer to everybody to know definitively if they had one or not. Um, but the only thing I can say is if anything is ever strange, go to see a doctor because um, it, you just don't know. Yeah. Um, if you have a sign, then the, there's, there's a reason for it. Jumping back into your story, so... You had woken up, you were communicating. What mm -hmm. was the recovery like from there? 
So um, the first interesting thing <laughs> is that all of my care team, I, I know. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask. I, I know professionally and actually to some degree, personally, um, uh, one of the neurologists uh, at JFK, I actually kind of grew up with. Um, I was friends with her brother growing up, and so we've known each other since we were very, like high school age. Um, so it was a very personal experience for me, which it isn't for everybody yet. Um, I will say, I, I really don't feel I was treated any differently in the sense of my care. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, people came to see me because they had a personal attachment to me as a, as a visitor and whatnot. But as far as my, my, my medical care and my therapy, uh, I, I, I work with a ton of very professional nurses and doctors, uh, patient care technicians who, yes, okay, I know this person, but right now he's a patient. I've taken care of friends, you know, in, in, in uncomfortable situations like that. And it's never easy to take care of somebody you know. Um, uh, for example, the, the surgeon that operated on me, I had worked at JFK already for a year and a half as a stroke nurse. And I just had never met this one particular surgeon until that afternoon, about two o'clock. We were discussing a one of my patients that he was consulted on. That was the first time we ever met. Yeah. A few hours later, he was saving my life when he saw me he immediately was like i was just talking to him yeah. <laughs> you know, right? so so it was um that was an unusual piece of irony too the recovery was relatively fast um i was walking by the end of that week uh with a walker i had a helmet on my head because half of my skull was in a freezer which uh is in our operating room for for this purpose um uh, for for skull um skull craniectomy uh skull flaps and then also for for other uh implants. so they take off a piece of your skull they do it's to, uh i guess let it yeah so it's it's clean in a, in a sterile way <laughs> it's a, you know, it's not um you make it sound it's so not, normal it's like not, <laughs> my skull was in the other room it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's actually it's, it's pretty fascinating because i i i Again, skipping ahead, and then I'll come back. But I'm now doing neurosurgery as in, oh, in the wow. OR, and I and I go into that freezer for other people's yeah. implants. And you're like, and, hey, uh, my skull was my, in I, here. Yeah, right. So like, it's it's really cool to see this side of it. But um, this uh, it's not it's not it's not a a whirlpool with somebody's ice cream next to it. Like it, it's a, it's a it's a freezer that's designated <laughs> for this. Right, yeah, you know, people have looked at me like you know a freezer. The, the point of doing that is because over. Um, in the next several days, the brain will continue to swell. Your skull, it doesn't stretch. Now, if the brain is swelling, eventually it's going to hit the sides of your skull. And this is where I ran into a big problem when I was having the hemorrhage, because any of the, the there's only X amount of, of play that your brain can swell uh, before you start having symptoms. And I had crossed that threshold. Um, so uh, to, to give the brain room to swell and, and room to, to, to heal itself, you have to remove a portion of the skull. And now, so what you end up with is brain, scalp, and nothing. There's, no, wow. you know, there's the membranes, there's the hair, the scalp, well, actually the hair, most of the hair is cut off before the surgery. Um, so, so a helmet is obviously necessary. Um, so um, I'm taking my first walk out of my ICU bed. I'm trying to just push myself, and, I, and my vision was really messed up at this point. I still have, a, I do have a permanent vision problem, but it doesn't stop me from doing, I can work, I can drive, I can do everything normal. But at the time, I'm still, my, I'm trying to reconnect 
things in my brain that aren't happy. And, uh, and I, I bumped my head right into a wall. Um, which wasn't a problem because I had a helmet on, and this is why I had a helmet on. Wear your helmets. And uh, and (laughs) wear your helmets in in any circumstance, especially when you're missing half of your skull. So (laughs) I, uh, I, and I'm laughing about it, and then my wife is laughing about it, and people are looking at me horrified, and I'm like, no, this is funny. Like, we, I'm here. I shouldn't be here right now. For some reason, I'm here. I'm walking. I'm doing better. Please laugh because <laughs> yeah. it's funny. Like this is, of course, this would happen to me. I'd hit my head on a wall and I don't even have half a skull. A lot of my therapists are talking about how I'm approaching the recovery at this point uh, mentally. There's two ways you can approach it. And it's the why me? Why did this happen to me? I can't believe this happened to me or my case. And then I have the clinical background to know what should have happened to me. The fact that I'm here and breathing right now is enough for me to just keep going. And I remember one of my friends who's a resident in the neuro, uh, the neuroscience team came in and uh, I asked him, and <laughs> I know about ans- asking point blank questions, especially when you're in that critical phase of a, of a brain injury. But I, I said, I'm like, am I gonna walk? And this is prior to, to me having walked. Am I going to walk again? And and given the the way that my function was returning on a, every day, something was coming back. Um, he said he's like you will you will walk out of here, and um, uh, that's all I said to him. I said that's all I need to hear. Every day something got a little bit better. About a week into ICU, being in the intensive care unit, um, they found a bed for me in inpatient rehab, and I was thrilled because uh, the reputation. Of, of the brain trauma unit is phenomenal. I've been familiar with it since I was an EMT and taking patients in and out of there myself and then uh, working as a nurse, a stroke nurse and watch and sending patients there. Mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna go there. Now I'm gonna see this firsthand <clears throat> and it didn't disappoint. I, I was absolutely just uh, amazed by the level of care and, and it continued from the top of the, you know, from when I was uh, in the ICU through inpatient rehab and then the things that they're capable of but the one thing i oh i learned a lot about physical therapy occupational therapy speech therapy uh recreational therapy the key is that the patient has to want to be better and and has to want to do the work i had a considerable cognitive deficit at the time i couldn't uh, i couldn't do math my physical therapist came in to to do my therapy and i go to put my shoes on and like i normally do i put i literally the laces tied and slip them on and she's like, you know, no, you, it would be easier if you untied them and actually put them on and tie them. I said, fine. And then I untie my shoes and I can't tie them again. I'm just staring at the laces. And then I started thinking, what else can't I do? Yeah, you, know? that you don't even know about. Yes. And I just, it each, and it, granted, there, there wasn't a whole lot outside of that, but, but the therapist, my therapy team worked very hard to find everything that, was, that wasn't working right and fix it. I'm going through all of this knowing that this thing that caused all of this is still in my head. Mm. It's just not bleeding right now. Right. So I have to be super careful. Blood pressure has to be monitored. And, you know, every day there's a small but measurable risk of re-rupture. Every piece of my care, every step of the way was at in that building. Uh, with those doctors and uh, it, it, those nurses that I work with and that I'm part of. Uh, so um, I, I owe everything, that hospital and, and the room that I now work in as a surgical nurse, you know. I returned to work 
on July 24th, 2017. So I had the hemorrhage November 25th, 2016. July 24th, I, I returned to work um, for a few weeks in my old floor just to kind of reacclimate. And then um, the program that I was set to be in, there were two phases. And I was originally set to be in the first phase, but then I got moved to the second phase. And so basically, just eight months delayed, I picked up where I left off. I'm now on that team that helped me, you know, saved my life. I worked really hard to, to be me again. I wanted the life I had. It's easy to get wrapped up in uh, normal daily stress and get frustrated with things that I would have before my stroke. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say that this experience uh, has just made me this complete optimist and I'm like always happy no matter what. No, I get stressed. I, I think that every human does. That's part of being a person. But I do have uh, at least once a day uh, something whether it's the scar in my head or the blind spot in both eyes or um, just a picture or a memory on Facebook or a friend. Or, um, it reminds me about what I went through, what I learned, uh, and, uh, you know, just readjust perspective for me. Um, and uh, and that's, I think, finding that balance has, has helped me. Uh, and uh, it really has helped me appreciate what the patients are going through and what the families are going through. I guess anyone else who has suffered a stroke recently, I know you found different ways to kind of grasp optimism and kind of push through because you wanted to be better. Mm -hmm. If someone's struggling, I guess, to find the light, what would you tell them? First of all, I learned that you're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to have your moments to, to kind of reevaluate what's going on and cope with it. Allow yourself to, to grieve or emote or cope. Um, but then if you can't shake it and you're starting to dwell, it might be time to talk to somebody. It's important to acknowledge when you need assistance. I had to start writing things down. I, it helped to see the list of what I can do, what I'm working towards, and, and the goal is very important. Looking back now, is there anything you really need to be like weary of? The reality is, um, if there's anything that risks uh, head injury, I have to be careful with it. I always wore a helmet when I biked, but uh, now I'm, I'm a little less daring on the bike. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a little um, more restrained on any rides I go on. And uh, I, don't, I don't have the urge to, to be daring anymore because I know what I've been through. I don't want to go through that again. And, uh, and it's okay because again, that's a moment where I'm like, you know what, I've been through so much and I'm still here. That's enough for me. Just the perspective you have is now so unique for what you do. Yeah. And even if you weren't in healthcare, having that perspective to be able to connect with someone else who has gone through something similar is, it's amazing. So, well, congratulations. I'm glad you were able to kind of come full circle with everything. Um, and then use it to help others. It's a great story and it's inspiring for anybody who needs to get a pick me up, you know? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll, keep, I'll keep going with the story as long as it'll help people. Most definitely. And congrats on your new house too. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's an exciting <laughs> um, time. Well, thanks so much again and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. All participants of the Help You podcast have willingly and openly shared their stories. They have not been paid or incentivized for sharing. 
The views expressed by our guests solely belong to them and are not necessarily aligned with Hackensack Meridian Health. We thank you for joining us and hope the stories of our patients have inspired you and comforted you.